Welcome to the Spitball Sessions. Prepare to enter the world of mechanics, the future of game creation, the evolution of design. With your two hosts, Josh Noyes and Luke Boulay, this is the dawning of the new age of remakes. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Spitball Sessions, where you must feature games to complete your games. My name is Josh, and I'm the host and co-owner of SpitballSessions.com. Uh, I'm joined today by Spitball Sessions uh, co-owner and webmaster, as well as my longtime friend, Luke. You gots to master those webs! You gots to. You gots to master them. L- L- Luke is basically like my the Spider-Man to my Batman. Okay. Uh, he-, he handles the webs, and I handle the... Gadgets. Uh, and I'm I'm, I'm, I'm being and cool. annoying. No, Peter Parker actually grows up to be an okay dude. Yeah, I guess it's that, that particular batch of Spider-Man move. Te- teenage Spider-Man is irritating, but teenagers in general are irritating. That's true. I was a particularly so, irritating teenager. I I'm agree sure. with that. Yeah, you would. <laughs> you also were a particularly annoying teenager. No, no, I was a particularly uh, chip-on-my-shoulder teenager. Which was annoying. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, for those of you who are wondering at home what Spitball Sessions is all about, it's not just about us complaining about high school. I was going to say, if you haven't figured it out by now. If you haven't figured it out by now, hey, you know, it's good to reset. Uh, we take concepts and ideas, filter out what parts of them are gems, and discuss how they could be used to make interesting games, or how rough game could be cut and polished even further. Today we're looking at a cool idea, or at least I think so, which is which is what I'm going to call an anti-meta roguelike. Uh, once again, and I'm sure some people might out there might be getting sick of us having responses to the Roguelike Radio guys, but the episode's like three years old, so I can't exactly reach out to them on Twitter right now about it. Um, it would be kind of weird for you to do so. It would be kind of weird. The thought about the anti-meta roguelike is uh, one of the guys on, they were discussing the concept of roguelites. Uh, specifically, uh, what is the game? Rogue... Um, Rogue Legacy? Yes, that's the one, exactly. Rogue Legacy. Uh, and one of the guys was talking was complaining about the fact that uh, he didn't like Rogue Legacy because it allowed you to uh, improve the castle as you go along. Which, for those of you who don't know, uh, Rogue Legacy is basically like a Castlevania-type game. I mean, literally, almost Castlevania game. Uh, where you die, and then the money that you got in that run allows you to upgrade the game and get new talents and new abilities and... Uh, just buff your character a little bit. Yeah, that game has an unusual uh, concept of persistence that I yes. really think is fun. I really, I, I really like Rogue Legacy. Rogue Legacy is one of those few games. Like, I actually like completely beat that game. And it took me like 118 runs, but I managed to do it. Yeah. As opposed to a game like Spelunky, where I don't think I will ever actually beat it. And I think, I mean, Spelunky is a light, persistent layer in terms of the um, the, the Tunnel Man. But otherwise, it does not have a whole lot of persistence to it. And even then, I don't like using the tunnels. I prefer to just always do a fresh run every time. And I'm probably never going to beat the... Like, I've made it to the fourth world, but I will probably never make it through the fourth world. Um, unless I go back to, on one of my Spelunky binges where I'm playing it for like six hours a day every day, which I haven't had in a while. Um, but... You know, that's fun, one of those funny things about Spelunky that I've always found interesting. And I wish I had that persistence myself to do is that yeah. they have that regular challenge every day they yep. they have a consistent the daily challenge yeah the daily challenge that's why they call it that because yes. it's daily and it's challenging yes oh totally um and i've always wanted to uh just do that on a regular basis because it's a good way to sharpen your skills i did it for about two months um i actually don't like i like i like the daily challenge but uh, 
you pl- I, I found I played the, like if you want to go for score, playing the daily challenge is is so different from the other ones because it's like, well, I may have only made it for one level, but I made all of the money. Like it makes you wi- like smart play in Splunky regularly, unless you're really really good. And there's some people who are really really good. Is avoid most of the things if you can. And yeah. smart play in Splunky daily is take risks because it's better to get as much money as you can. Was it scored by money? It's scored based on your gold. So oh. buying things, buying things subtracts from your score, um, and and the more money you can pull in. But yeah, so 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 they were talking about this this level of persistence in, in games like Splunky and games like Rogue Legacy, and and one of the gentlemen was complaining and saying that you know he doesn't really like that. He likes his Rogue likes to be pure, you know, so that every run is theoretically the same amount of difficulty. And then one of the others pointed out, well, even most roguelikes have a little bit of you, you get better at roguelikes as you play them. Like you learn certain tricks to specific roguelikes, like, you know, an ADOM, you know that like how you start to learn how altars work and you start to learn how certain monsters, whether certain monsters you can fight and that there are certain monsters you can't fight. Right. And certain things you can melee and certain things you can't melee. Always run from crazy youth. Always run from him. Actually, I do pretty well against. I actually win. No, I, I. Well, uh, that's the great thing is is um, the last time I played that, I had a, I was a felonid and I had a wand of paralysis. Oh, that works. Paralysis. And the great thing about felonids is is they get a bonus, uh, an additional bonus, I believe, if you attack somebody who's. That makes sense. Yeah, because they have a speed bonus. Yeah. Yep. So that that was that was effective. And that's and that's from uh, crawl. Yes, that's yes. Dungeon Crawl Stone Soup. Right. And, one of my uh, particular favorites. Yeah. And I know, um, well, like, quick, like, small spoiler, but, like, there, there's a certain kind of lizard in uh, Adon that if you attack in melee will curse you, which is a big deal. Yeah. Um, which is a real, really big deal. Uh, if you hit him twice, you'll die, basically. Right. So, you know, the first time you get tricked by that is a big deal, but eventually you learn, oh, if you see one of these, don't punch it in the face. <laughs> And kill it from a distance or run away. So, which led me to my question of this this concept of the anti-meta roguelike, which is, can you make a roguelike game where even that aspect is ameliorated? Where even the knowledge of how the game kind of works in the background can be mitigated so that every single run has exactly the same chance of success? Yeah, I've been thinking about that, and um, I think I, I don't. I guess hitting upon the the most obvious thing about that is because um, then you have to account for um, the player's ability to adapt and learn. Right. Well, I, I, actually, let me let me add one one additional aspect to this because I think there's one really obvious solution that I want to take off the table right now. Ah, darn. Which is well, oh, actually, you go ahead and say it, and then I'll take it off the table. Well, I don't know if we're thinking the same thing here, but the obvious thing about that is is you can either make it so easy, yep. because it's just like a button push button to win, mm-hmm. and that just eliminates any other challenge well, because it's it's that it's, it just is that. Yes. Or um, making it so that it's so persistently contrary to whatever you previously did that it's impossible to defeat. That, that's what I was going to say. I, I, is I I think you. The, you could make it so that everything in the game is 100% random. Um, and I was going to say, we should we should take that off the table. Because if you do things like, oh, every single time an orc has a different letter attached to it. Like, oh, this time O equals orc, but next time G equals orc. And, and it doesn't tell you what the enemies are. 
Like, you could do stuff like that where it's like, well, I don't know what I'm attacking, so I don't know whether I should be attacking it or not. Like, you could do that, but that's... I think that's a layer... Like, there's, at that point, that's not fun anymore at there, all. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain level of... Uh, there's there's a certain level that a shirt, uh, a player should be able to learn his way to before the meta kicks in, right? Or the anti-meta, right? I I, I mean, yeah, I, th- I I well, it's not even so much meta so much as I feel like that's cheap, like mm-hmm. it's cheap, like not cheating necessarily, but it feels cheap. Like we like we didn't beat you slash you didn't win because you were smarter, you didn't win because you were better. At that point, it is literally, well, random. It is a hundred. It's basically like playing roulette at that point. You have no information to work with. You don't know what anything does. So, I mean, yes, you won or lost, but you didn't have any reason to because you didn't know what anything was. Exactly. Like, uh, wow, what do you know? Uh, that monster looks exactly like the same, same graphic as the tiles. Right. So you couldn't even see that he was there. I mean, and even then, I think I mean, I think there are certain things you would start to eventually learn, which is like wands would be super powerful, avoid monsters whenever you can. Um, like even then, I think there are certain rules you would start to eventually learn. It would just be a lot harder, and it would be a lot harder to be consistent with them because nothing would really be the same. Um, but even then, like there would still be certain. Like at some point, you would have to have some sort of level of like. Oh, if you pick something up, start by trying to equip it in your head slot, then try to equip it in your arm slot, then try to equip it in your leg slot, and that will help you start narrowing down what kind of an item it is, and then from the <coughs> Well, that would... It, it basically would just add, add like, six or seven layers to the flow chart. Yeah, which, I mean, doesn't exactly... It doesn't improve the gameplay. No, it just makes it way more... Yeah, it just makes it irritating at that point, so... So my the the one thought that I I, I initially gravitated towards and I, I still kind of like this and I I'm finding it hard to come up with anything I've had a couple of those ideas but this was the one that sort of immediately stuck stuck out to me which is what about a game where your goal is to make an X number of floors and every time you start you start on the floor where you last died mm-hmm. so. Each of the floors is probably gonna would, would probably have to be about the same level of difficulty, or, or have that same ramping up of difficulty. But you have to go ten floors each time, and it's gonna be ten so, floors you've never seen. So it's kind of like the football mentality, right? Every every down you have to go what twenty yards or something 10 yards. like that. Ten yards. Yes, right. I'm not that much football. No, that's fair. <laughs> but yeah, no, that I mean that that makes a certain amount of sense. So every time you play, you're exposed to ten random and ten random, which I th- I think to some extent works pretty well. On the other hand, I mean there are people who have played, there are people who can consistently beat NetHack every time they play it. Uh, was a, and 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 that's and that's where when I started thinking about that, that's where I started saying, well, okay, some of this is clearly strategy versus experience because. And that's and and this is something I brought up to you in our um in our in our notes is games like Go and games like chess, like there is a very 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 strong meta in games like Go and chess. Like at this point, chess and Go are all meta. Um, which if is, you're if you're good at it, yeah. Well, if you are above a beginner level, like for for people who don't, so for people who've never seen Go before, um, it is a game where you place stones on the board and it's a 19 by 19 grid and you're trying to enclose certain levels of territory and there are certain points on the on the board called hoshi or, or stars um and those are where things sort of tend to and they're uh, at three three six three nine three or, or whatever they're basically at three three rows in three rows down and then down the center basically 
Uh, and those tend to be, there is a lot of strategy around those. There are things called, uh, shoot, I want to blank on the name. Basically, basically teaching problems where, uh, the, or sorry, Joseki and Fuseki, where one is basically like, okay, if somebody places a stone at 3-3, three, three, you place a stone at 3-2, then they place a stone at 3-1. And it's basically this long line of like the first 20 or 30 moves of, of, of dealing with that point. And then from there, you actually get into having to figure out the game because they've basically boiled down, well, over thousands and thousands and thousands of plays, this is how this position usually develops, or this is how this position usually develops. The same way that in um, in chess, you have things like King's, King's Gambit, or the Piano Defense, or the, you know, they're, 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 there's 20 or so commonly used ones that have names associated with them. Um, and, but there is still so much of chess and so much of Go, where even once you know... You know, or, or or Luke, I know you are a big StarCraft fan. You can think of it as like build orders, um, mm-hmm. you know, where even if you know your first 20 moves or your first 40 moves, like, oh, I'm going to go nine pylon or I'm going to go uh, six pool or whatever it is. Like, yeah, y- y- you know, these are strategies that are used so commonly that they have names for them. But what happens after you get there is kind of what decides the entire game. Yeah. Getting, getting the ball rolling. Getting the ball rolling. And there really, I do wonder if that doesn't work quite as well in in games like roguelikes, where I feel like there is a very strong discrepancy of people who are good at roguelikes win roguelikes more often than they lose. And, and that is true of chess as well, where a good chess player will win more often than he loses against people. But if he is put up against an equally matched opponent, he will win about as often as he loses. And is is it possible that maybe part of one of the things with roguelikes is they are static in a way? It really, I think it depends on the roguelike, but they do kind of they follow certain rules. Yes, that do um, you kind of like follow a default in certain situations? Yes, but they're even, they're like a it's it's like a really big flowchart. Even even then, though, I think. A lot of those rules can still be circumvented. It's kind of like sure. you can t- pick and choose which one. Like, for instance, when we were discussing this, you were talking about how, how you said uh, you don't drink unidentified potions. Right. I always do. But I want to know what they do. But, but you're but all... in early game, I right. do that. So at a point where it's not as, as damaging. So in a lot of ways, it's not as bad as, as like, say, chess and go right. to me are extreme cases. Like, I can't play either of those games because even though, like, chess specifically, I understand very well the rules and I'm not a beginner player, I do not have the capacity to memorize all the different gambits that can come from chess to be competent enough to go face up anyone. Because once you... There's like a... There's a little plateau. Right. You learn how to play it. You get good. And at that plateau, you you can run into people and you can play... And it's still more, what's the word I want to use, uh, off-the-cuff kind of stuff. Right. You you have a rough idea of how you should counter stuff like that. But once you get beyond that point, you're you're at like this insurmountable wall mm-hmm. where anyone else you play against is so much better at, at understanding and recognizing what's going to happen next. They can see several moves ahead yep. because they play it so much. And I'm never going to be able to get that right. good at this. this I, I, I have that problem with Go. Go actually handles it very elegantly in a way that chess does not because they have the concept of uh, handicapping. So a player, if you know approximately what your skill level is, you basically add or subtract stones from a go board. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I used to be, I probably no longer am, but I used to be, let's say, 
15Q, which is not great, but it's not terrible. Uh, it goes down to like 22. So a little bit above, I, I used to be a little bit above beginner. Um, and I could play against somebody who was a grandmaster. They would just give me 25 stones. Like I would have a 25 stone handicap and, and get a bonus of 25 stones, which is a huge gap. And he would still probably should probably still beat me most of the time. Um, if I'm playing against a professional, because I mean, well, that, yeah, that, that has a, a balancing mechanic in chess. Right. You don't have that. Chess doesn't. Um, it, it, it is what I, what I believe, uh, Serlin games would refer to as Yomi, the, that, that sort of idea, which we need to do an episode about that because I think his concepts of some of that stuff are fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to, to competitive gaming specifically. Uh, we, we, we will have to dig into that, but I, I, but I will also say, like, your point about, well, I don't follow that rule. You know, I drink potions whenever. You've also never, not to call you out, but you've also never beaten any of these games. No, Whereas, but I, I think that's as much a lack of persistence on my part uh, rather than... C- certainly, but I, I, I feel like people who are really good, people who consistently win these games, like... You, what, what you're essentially saying is that those people who play a lot have a yeah. better chance because... They build up an experience. They, they build that. And, and I think, like, like if you consistently talk to people who are really good at these games, like, they will, like, and, and they've done this. I've heard some of them on Roguelike Radio. They all have, like, if you are good at Adon, there's, like, six or seven basic rules you follow. And if mm-hmm. you are good at Crawl, there are six or seven basic rules that all good Crawl players follow, such as don't go into here, avoid certain parts of the ecumenical temple if you don't need to go in. Like, don't go to the hives unless you can avoid it. Um, or, or the swamps or whatever it was like there, there are six or seven basic rules that most of these guys are like, do this, do that, do this, do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, and I don't do some of them, but I haven't learned enough to, f- to figure out necessarily why. Um, so I haven't seen the hard way 500 times. Like, like you said, smart players don't, don't deal with Yolf unless you're, you know that you can overwhelm him. Mm-hmm. The first ten times I didn't, I ignored that. The second ten times I ignored that. He's now not I ignore worth that. Now, now I ignore that about half the time because I usually can go in and steamroll him because I tend to play as a class that I know my way around fairly well. But you're right. If you're going in underpowered, don't don't touch him because he's going to mess mess you up and and really confuse you and just caterwaul you. Not to mention the fact that his staff of chaos is not exactly right. the, useful. The, the staff, yeah, I mean, he's he's not useful. I mean, he's really only useful if you you know if you're trying to kill everything in the game. Um, but I mean, that's what roguelikes are all about: is choose your battle. Yeah. Um, but but that's the sort of thing I'm talking about. Um, is I wonder, like, you know what you know what the, you know what roguelikes remind me a lot of, and, and I guess this makes sense considering where they came from, but. Do you remember the old like um, Lone Wolf books, Not or the, the old like the old like role playing books that were like self role playing books? I mean, like, they were like choose your own adventure. They books? were like choose your own adventures, but they actually had stats and stuff in them. Oh no, I've never seen anything. like So that. so they were, they were really cool, but they I mean they were basically like like Lone Wolf. I think is the one that most people have heard of, and it's it's choose your own adventure book. But you have stats and you have special powers, and and each time in each book you go through, you get an extra power. That's um, interesting. It was really cool. They were really popular for a few years, and that's sort of what roguelikes sometimes remind me of. Is it's like, you you know, you eventually, if you played through the books long enough, you're like, well, I know that this is a good power to have. Like, get the ability to get food is a useful power because I know I'm going to run out of food a lot. You know, there, there are certain things, and I think that's sort of what roguelikes are at some point. Is they are playing you are playing against yourself, like. Mm-hmm. 
yes, there's technically monsters in the game, but in, at, at a certain point, like the monsters themselves almost don't matter. Yeah. Like you are playing against yourself in a really weird, in, in, in the same way that you are in like a choose your own adventure book. And I do wonder, like, like with something like chess and like with something like Go, would adding more of an AI to the, to these games make them more slash less likely to be? You mean something similar to the, um, what's that called? The, uh, oh, what's that called? You know, the, like, um, a str- like a strategic AI. Or yeah, like, AI. like the, uh, the orchestrator. That's not called the orchestrator. The one from, uh. Oh, Left for Dead. Left for Dead. Yes, the storyteller. Yeah, yeah, uh, something like that, or even just like like a tactical AI, like something like like an XCOM. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Tales of Magiel does it a little bit, but Tales of Magiel does it by or or or, or if, Tales of Magiel kind of does it by brute force. By they're going to put in a lot of monsters that have really special patterns, and so maneuvering around them becomes very important because of how your spells work. But I mean, I was even thinking of something. But even like, that provides a certain level of meta one, because then if you can predict oh, totally. movements, absolutely. Um, and and I will say that I feel like Tales of Magiel is, is is for me the one that I feel like comes the closest to that by by virtue of things like there is no identification in Tales of Magiel. Well, the very first time you play the game, there is, but you after after the first time you play through the game, you'll get an artifact about an hour or two into the game that will basically identify. And that you keep on you forever. It is soulbound to you as a player. Um, soulbound in the World of Warcraft sense, be you know, yeah. Like you can't every trade. time you create a new character, it's there. It's there. Um, it's called it's called the Orb of Scrying, and it will tell you what every single object you pick up does, and it will give you exactly their stats. Um, and later on in the game, you get something called the 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 chest of transmogrification or something, where everything you leave in there, it will eat it. Like, it will turn it into money for you, just automatically. If you don't want it, it just, it basically eats all your gray items, all your white items, okay. all your vendor trash. Like, it does a lot of those things, like, like it definitely pulls some things from from MMOs, um, like that. Well, I mean, and, in some ways, that's smart, because, yeah. well, it's, it's working in the opposite direction. Once you've reached a point where you can readily identify stuff or or you you've grasped the understanding of how right. item identification works they remove that feature from you exactly you. well even me on that like uh, so do you know do you know what the term perfect information means um only logically okay so let's say uh risk versus starcraft risk is a game of perfect information if you were playing normal risk you can see everything on the board you can see just about everything on the board you know with 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 the exception of the cards, or or actually, I say I guess chess would be a game of complete perfect information. But risk mm-hmm. risk is risk is fairly close to perfect information. You know what's on the board. You know where the players are going to go. You have a fairly good idea of what they're going to do. Whereas StarCraft is a game of imperfect information. You don't know where people are. You don't necessarily know what they're going to do. You have a vague idea, and if you have scouts in there, you can kind of figure out what fog of war. Right, fog of war. Um, I would say that Tome is or Tales of Magile is much closer to a game of perfect information. You, there is fog of war tactically, but as far as the, like, you know what all your items do. You know what all your powers do. There's no random rolls. Unlike every other, uh, unlike almost every other roguelike I've played, you know, my attack will do this much damage. Yeah. I mean, there, there is a, that's not true. There is, there is, a, there is a little bit of randomness in there, but it is, it, it will tell you the exact range of damage. Um, and it is never like significantly high. Like they do have crits and stuff. So I guess there is some randomness, but, 
it, it is much less random. It feels like. But you should never, you should never be able to go into a battle without understanding just how clear the risk of dying exactly is in an engagement. You, you, you always know what it is. You know exactly what your powers do. You know exactly when to use them. And I wonder, like, I wonder if you could even go like one step further and and actually take out things like random rolls. Um, and I I wonder if maybe that's one of the solutions is making a game of perfect information a, a roguelike. A, could we make a roguelike that has perfect information? Well, I mean, that kind of reminds me of, uh, is it? Uh, desktop Dungeons. Desktop Dungeons, because that has, that is kind of, uh, it's not exactly perfect information, but but theoretically, yes. the way the levels are designed, you should be able to work your way up to it's the- It's puzzle. It's, it's puzzle in the, in the aspect of, uh, in any engagement, within a certain level of flexibility, you should be able to work your way up to the boss and defeat the boss. Yeah, that's Because a good point. everything is there. Uh, they don't really move around, and you're just selecting which person, which guy you want to target to optimize your experience gain to level up fast. Yeah, that that that's actually a really good point. I, I like that. I I mean, I actually think you could do it with like a game like like Tales of Magic. I don't think it would work with a game like Adom. I really don't. I think part of what makes Adom interesting is that sort of. Well, it's the same thing about about crawl, crawl. as well, because I think there's a lot there's a lot of fun in the whole. Random risk, right? I, I think. I think. Well, I think that. See, for me, I think the reason it works with Tome, and the reason I don't think it works with a lot of those games is, and I've said this before, Tome is much more tactically interesting. Like most, I think. I think that's for me the thing is most roguelikes are very strategically deep, but aren't necessarily tactically deep. Where there's this this meta strategy of, you know, how do I approach. It's not how do I approach this specific situation. It's how do I approach this dungeon. It's, mm-hmm. oh, I found these seven potions. When do I use them? It's not, oh, I'm in this situation where I'm surrounded on all sides. What do I do in the next five turns to get out of that? It's, well, how do I avoid getting surrounded in the first place? Right. Or, oh, crap. Now I'm in this situation. I have two potions. Should I use one? Should I not use one? You know, it's, it's, much, more, it's much more long-term thinking. Like, I think Brogue is, like, Brogue is one that I just recently started playing, and I think that's a really good example of that, where, like, there is stuff you're, you know, like, you're thinking four floors ahead in Brogue, whereas yeah. in, in Tales of Magile, I'm never thinking more than four turns ahead. Yeah. Um, And I do wonder if that's part of it. Like, Brogue, especially more than just about any of the other games, is all item-focused. Like, you don't even have stats, necessarily. Like, really. Like, you don't have experience points. You have stats, but you don't really have experience points. Mm-hmm. Um, and that game's all about learning how to identify and use your items to their best advantage. To their best advantage. Yeah. And yeah, I, I do wonder, like, I, I think maybe for me, that may be one of my solutions is make a roguelike of more perfect information. Uh, although then again, now that I say that, I'd say roguelike, Road Not Taken might actually be close to that. I've never beaten that game. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever will. Well, that's that's the thing about it is, is you... In that kind of situation where you're where you're playing between perfect information, mm-hmm. you have to balance your 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 challenge. Yes, because it's very easy to make a game like that very boring. I mean, that's part True. of the problem that I have with the desktop dredge, de- de- desktop dungeons. Desktop dungeons is the fact that it's kind of repetitive yes. in its methodologies. It it has to have enough complexity to still be interesting. Even if you know what it is, it's the it's the difference between winning and solving. 
True. I, I think that's what it is because when I play desktop dungeons, I don't feel like I've beaten a game. I feel like I've solved a crossword puzzle. I've solved a puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I agree with you. It's a different. On the, on the other hand, I will say that something like, I mean, XCOM technically has some randomness because of the way that, that like, you know, you're still making random rolls, but I definitely feel like, like you could make a more perfect, like a more perfectly information XCOM. You could make an XCOM where a hundred percent chance to hit at a certain damage. And I would not necessarily feel like that was solving a puzzle so much as it would still feel like it was a strategic game. You know, there is another thing that I would do, and this is kind of going back to what you tried to take off the table. Okay, go back. Uh, something a little more random, and I actually had a concept for a roguelike that I want to play with, and I don't think I'll take it to this level, Okay, but I have the idea of something kind of a little like Cogmind. Mm. Even though I haven't played this, some of the things that we we discussed about this, you said was a little like Cogmind. Yes. Um, but I also kind of want to pull some of the ideas that we got from Near Automata, wherein we have a roguelike. And you wake up in the beginning of this game as uh, an artificial, almost like an android, right? Okay. Um, just basic genderless. You know nothing. Right. You wake up and the first thing that happens is is you get, I don't know, some sort of auditory input that, that programs you and tells you who you are and blah, blah, blah. Right, right. And you essentially start out with nothing. And you can come across modules that expand your functionality in one way or another. Yep. And so every module changes how you function. And as you level up in one way or another, you expand your, your ability to hold modules. Right. Um, and depending on the type of modules that you get affects how you would interact with everything around you. Yep. So, I mean, you might not even play a game where you're using combat to get through situations. You might have other types of modules. I will say that's that's definitely one thing that Cogmind does really well is it, it does sort of push a lot of some of that concept too, yeah. Yeah, so, so having something where you don't even know what you're going to get and you just have to deal with what you're given. Yes. Um, and because of that, the creatures would be, or whatever you're dealing with, right. would be randomly generated with specific stats and you only understand what you can get based on the modules that you have. Right. So like it starts out as like, this is a thing. It's doing this. What is it doing? Oh my God, it's biting me. What do right. I do about it? And so like you might start off with a basic hitting attack or something like that. And as you go and, and the problem with that though, is because it would be truly random and like everything that you interact with, the things that you collect to start with, mm -hmm. there would be instances where you would just instantly lose because that's just going to be a thing that happens. That's true. Uh, and that is – and anything that completely eliminates mana, meta in this manner is going to have instances where you just can't complete the game. And it's more, in my opinion, kind of like an experience than like a game that you true. can complete. I, I'm not – I sort of see where you're coming from in the concept of that – in the statement that the only way to 100% guarantee that – you have exactly the same chance of winning every time. Is 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 the is to make sure that you can never win. Um, well, but that feels like a. That does, I, I don't. I don't want it to be that way. No, no. But I I see where you're coming from with that argument. It is an unsatisfying argument, but I see where you're coming from. And yeah. I I think for me the reason I don't like it is because that is so unsatisfying to to say that. But I don't. I'm not sure you're wrong. It's just unsatisfying. The, the problem is, is any time that you give uh, people the opportunity to learn something about how you play the game because like like my idea will give you the possible if if it, it's properly executed and this is the thing i'm sure i couldn't execute this properly uh and i don't know if there's anyone who could 
But if executed properly, the idea is that you learn as you play. Right. And you have the chance from the initialization of the android to its terminus. Right. Whether it succeeds in whatever mission that it gets, which could be part of what what's randomly generated. Right. Oh, oh, you wake up. Oh, you must go and get the Orb of Zot. Wait, Orb of what that? What's an Orb of Zot? Right. Uh or it could be uh, you need to go and fix the scrubbers on deck C because uh, the humans on the ship are going to die. Right. And so it could be dynamic in that way where it's not even like your standard you need to fight things kind of thing. But you have to actually get from point A to point B and do something. Although, again, theoretically, at some point, unless you are rolling out content on a weekly basis, which I guess maybe that is one way, one solution to the problem. Like, at some point, a person who's played the game 700 times will have seen it all. That is true. Or if they uh, know how to read code. And so, 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 well, again, that's cheating. I know, that is cheating. That, that like, if, if you can't, not saying that people shouldn't be allowed to do this, but if the only way that you could beat the game is by digging into the files and actually reading how it all works, I think that is a little different. At some point, that is, that is, that is using what we would call that is what we would call out of character knowledge let's say in in role playing yeah. so 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 actually though you saying that actually excuse me makes me think maybe maybe redefining the the question a little bit is actually maybe not wrong which is maybe rather than saying every single time you play you should have an equal chance of winning what if we say that a person who has played it 500 times should have exactly the same chance of beating it as somebody who's never played it before yeah. that's a, that's a it is a similar idea but it is actually significantly different i think um, mm-hmm. so actually one solution I have to that problem, which it's weird. Like as soon as I said that, like it shifts, it shifts the whole thing a little bit because it's yeah. no longer, it's no longer that you should be able to play it, er, that every chance should have a, six, a certain percentage of winning. It's that everybody who plays it should have the same percentage chances, chances of winning, which is a slightly different question. Um, so, so one, one solution that I really had that, that, that immediately came to my mind for this, um, is, Every time you play the game, it adds one floor. So if you've never played the game before, it is one floor long. Hey, so like you, even if you successfully beat the game, right? The next time, no, I love that idea. Or, 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 or if you want to go one step further, it adds one floor until every time you fail. So, so maybe make it like three floors long, deep the first time. So. Wait, and wait, that, wait, wait, wait. Uh, hang on. So every time you fail, it adds an extra floor. Every time right. you succeed, it adds an extra no, floor. No, no, no. Well, well, you could do it. You could do it. Either, well, so here, here I, I have two thoughts of this. One, you could do it that way. Um, we're getting some static off of your mic. So, so one thought I did have is, um, well, well, we could do it your way, which is, um, well, I, I want to make it clear. It every time you go through the dungeon. Uh-huh. Or my other thought is uh, take, taking an idea from, uh, Oh shoot! I mean, how, why is it? Uh, why is it that I can never remember a person's name as soon as I want to talk about them? Um, I think. I think if you want to do it, that that everyone has the same amount of chances, it should yes. be uh, by success. Um, well, so, well, I, I feel like it's every time you play through it, it should add a level, whether whether you succeed or fail. Okay, um, I, I was thinking that. I well, let's 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 analyze that for a second, because if if we're trying to answer the question of uh, someone who's played it five hundred times versus right. somebody who's played it. Once now, the person who played it five hundred times never actually completed it. Right, he has a zero percent chance. Not necessarily, but I guess he had a zero percent chance when he first played it because right. he failed every single time. Uh, right, it's it's not necessarily saying that you're always going to win. It's just always going to say that it's the same level. Well, if if each floor adds something new, theoretically, 
theoretically. Or, 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 or my other thought is, and my my thought was Hideo Kojima. That's that was who I was trying to think of. The guy who who invented Metal Gear had yeah. an idea at one point for uh, a game where every time you died, it deleted itself from your hard drive. I'm thinking it would do the reverse, where it only allows you to beat the game once ever. And then you have to what buy it again or something? No, if you beat it, it, it updates your registry so you can never install it again. <laughs> People would have a problem with that, but I like. Well, that I mean. I mean, if if you do it as a seven, well, I mean, you you obviously don't want to be updating people's registries unless mm. unless you tell them in advance it's going to do well, that. Well, I know one way you could actually do that. What? Whenever when you buy the game, you have to put in an email. I, I'm I'm not I'm not well, I'm to, not I'm not talking buying the game. I'm talking like a seven DRL. Well, okay. When you play the game, you have to put in an email. Yes. And that email gets uploaded to a server. Yep. Always online. It always checks. So you can play for every email that you possess. So maybe you can get away with playing it five times. But right. Well, something like that, yeah. Well, I mean, even I mean, check, talk about the speedrun community <coughs> having a problem with that. Well, yeah. Well, that, that that that's why you do it for something like seven DRL, mm-hmm. where it is a small thing that people aren't really going to care that. You know, like, if if they can ever play it again, like it's experience game. Um, there, I mean, there are other games that have done something similar. I I like that idea. Um. So uh, essentially, it's it's like you can you can keep playing and trying at it until you succeed. But once you until succeed, you succeed, you're done. Right. And then every time you fail, it adds one floor. I don't know about adding one floor because that just well, it increases the difficulty ten percent. Let's say five percent or something. Well, uh, but that's the problem though. It is it? Oh, okay. So it's ing- so it's even though it's 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 countering the the uh, experience that you've gained from right. playing it the previous time. Right. I gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So so you know what the first floor looks like. So a lot of second well, let's let's say it starts at ten floors. So you know mm-hmm. what the first five floors look like. So now we're gonna add six more floors that you haven't seen. Oh now you know what the first twenty floors look like. Well there's thirty floors now, so you don't know what the next ten are gonna be. You know, so there's always a little bit that you've never seen before. I think Ultimately, to satisfy, like, I love that idea of a game that once you've beaten it, it deletes it. I really like that. That is but such a clever thing. I think it would be better for something else. I think in this particular instance. In a instance, roguelike, it might be a little much. I think in this instance, every time you start up the game and having it just add an extra floor just to. Yeah, add I, that, I think that's a I like that. Yeah. I think that's a good solution yeah. to the problem. And, 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 I mean, it's actually not that hard. Like, I just. So those of you who've been following our website know that I, Luke and I have started learning to design games because we both felt bad about having this podcast and not knowing how to do that. I got I to gotta put up my first post. Yes, you should. I, I have my third that I'm working on. You know, that, that's, that was actually one of the first things I learned how to program is a, thing, is, is a game that will auto-update itself every time you play it. So, like, that's a really easy thing to program uh, oh, in, yeah, certain, in certain programming languages. All, all you have to do, I mean, like, I'm working on Lua. So, as far as I can see, um, all you really need to do is put in a file. Mm-hmm. That's created yep. that maintains a number. Yep. And to make it more hairy, if someone tries to edit the file, you could make it so that uh, any any editing. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you'd you, have to find some way to control tampering because. Well, I mean, a lot, like most most things, you can set them so that they can't be edited. Yeah. Like that's not. I mean, and again, if they do, that's cheating. Like again, we're we're we're, we're tampering with like we're, that's. Like, I guess, yes, technically that's part of the meta, but again, I feel like at some point if you're downloading cheat tools, if you're downloading stuff, if you're going through the code, that's breaking the, the, the quote-unquote quote quote contract. And, and and that's the thing, again, yeah. we've we've discussed this before, 
Uh, we always work from the perspective of intent, not right. necessarily how a game is well, finally. Played. Well, I mean, in in the same way that if you and I were playing Netgear, and if you got or not Netgear, uh, Netgear, <laughs> you play your Netgear. Yeah. If if you and I were playing NetHack, and when you get up to go to the bathroom, I go over and check under all of your ice, like. I could technically then beat you really easily, but that's not really within the spirit of the game. Check under ice. You know, if I check, if I check what all your ice are that are like, oh, like if you're playing the corp and I check all of the cards you have face down when you get up to go to the bathroom. Yeah, you're right. Okay, yeah, I'd that- win a lot easier because I know which ones to target. But that would, that's not really within the spirit of the game. No, it's not. Yeah, we pretty much covered all the things. I do yeah. like. Um, I do like the idea. I like the things that we've come up with yes. as, as ideas. I like the idea of a game that that eliminates itself. It does not allow you to play it again. That's really fun. We'll have to come back it. to that some other time. Yeah. Um, uh, the idea of having a game expand itself every time you play another game <laughs> yep. is also a really, That's really cool fun mechanic. And with that, unless you have any more solutions. No, I, I think we've come up with some good ones. We'll move on to the mouthwash. And welcome back to the mouthwash, where we spit fiery hot truths like plasma from the duct of a starship, I guess, maybe. From the duct of a plasma duck. (laughs) Plasma duck. Plasma duck, uh, along with just a hint of minty freshness. That's true. So today we're going to be talking about a really interesting thing. Um, I'm not sure why we're talking about this, but it could be interesting. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) We want to talk about games that feel wrong in some way. The idea behind this is is that uh, sometimes you play a game and something about it just doesn't mesh right. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you you do your best to just ignore it, uh, let suspension of dis- disbelief kick in, but sometimes it can be very jarring. And I sh- and I should point out that we are not going to be talking about uh, illusion soft games or any other uh, adult oriented games. We all know why those are wrong. Yeah, different kind of wrong. Different kind of wrong. Uh, yes. So. Um, I think a good place to start with this, I think, um, is Cutie uh, Pop, which is a very, very wrong game. I thought we were not talking oh, about right. these sorry, games. Sorry. Well, that's, that, that's so, not a Jap- that's not a Japanese game. Somebody's got a certain kind of game stuck in their head right now. Yeah, well, I was I, there was one I was thinking of that I was like, oh, that was wrong. Oh no, I can't talk about that game. That's a wrong kind of wrong. Wrong kind of wrong. No, we're we're, we're talking about games that don't feel like they where, where like people talk about like suspension of disbelief where 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 like it doesn't quite mesh with the way that we kind of know or feel reality should work yeah and, and that's the funny thing is like that's always something that say like sci-fi games yes. or or even sci-fi shows and movies always have to fight because you you have to maintain some sort of some sort of grounding realism yes. to maintain like as an example star trek yep. the aliens in star trek all look human like they're called humanoids because it allows us to um, – what's the word I'm looking for? It allows us to connect to them. Yes. And and even though in some ways some people don't think it's very real. That's true. That's true. Because uh, I, at the same time, there's a lot of good games out there that use non-standard aliens yep. to add to the 
uh, uniqueness of it. There's a whole bunch in there, and and in fact, you're probably bringing up uh, certain tropes on TV tropes about this. I'm not. I was actually bringing up uh, my uh, my first game, which is which is clearly does not uh, match with uh, reality, which is Death Road to Canada. Okay. <laughs> yes, actually, I think I know where you're going with this, but please continue. Because Canada isn't real. Oh, no, that's not, <laughs> not, not exactly where I thought you were going with that. So everybody knows you can't be on a death road to Canada because Canada isn't real. Um, Ca- Canada is, is a myth that has been told throughout uh, our history. And uh, I've never been to Canada. I've never seen Canada. I don't know that Canada exists. So the idea of a game that is set on uh, with some people trying to go and find this lost continent of Canada. Didn't you go to Canada when you were 18 to get some drinks? No, that was you. <laughs> No, I didn't do that. I didn't do I thought, that. I thought it was you. I don't have a passport, dude. At the time, you didn't need a passport to go into well, Canada. I've, I've, I've never been to Canada. Oh. I've been well, to San Francisco. One does not simply go into Canada. I, I, I've been to San Francisco, which I would argue is also another country, but that's neither here nor there. Well, California's been trying to secede from America yeah. forever. Well, that, that's a whole other thing. California and Texas, actually. Yeah. Which are basically the same state in a lot of ways, just flipped. Yeah. Well, I mean, they technically hate each other because I mean, one of them's full of yuppies and the other one's full of people with guns. That's true. Who hate yuppies? Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. They're the same country. They're just they're just alignments are flipped. That is true. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like Omnitron and Omnitron X. I was only going to to go as irreverently far as to say that Canada would not survive a, a zombie apocalypse. Well, that's true too. But uh, you you took that to the inevitably deadly end <laughs> to, to the to the inevitably, inevitably deadly really stupid joke. I would like to take ten years. I'd like to take a moment right now to disassociate Spitball Sessions with the owner of Spitball Sessions. <laughs> if you feel the need to harm us because we just said Canada doesn't exist, you don't get the joke. Just accept that you don't get the joke and move on. If you need, feel the need to harvest because we said that Canada doesn't exist, you probably live in Canada, and therefore I'm not afraid of you. Because you don't exist. Because you don't exist. Also, okay. what's it like to ride a unicorn? <laughs> anyway, no, so for, for real, um, the, the one that actually inspired this topic for me was uh, NBA 2K's career mode. So every t- – and, and, this, and this is one that I actually mean when we talk about the concept of, like, gameplay versus – you know, we've talked before about how sometimes you have to do things for gameplay that don't actually quite gel, don't quite yep. feel like when we talk about games feeling "quote unquote" real. Like th- this is one that I think of where, like, for gameplay reasons, I understand why they do it, but logically, it doesn't quite square. Which is so in NBA career mode, you start out every game with a C, uh, like teammate score, let's say, and every time you do good things, your teammate score goes up. Like, if you, if you fill your lane correctly, you get a little bit of a bonus. If you steal a ball, you get a little bit of a bonus. If you get a dunk, you get a little bit of a bonus. And, you know, they, they like you a little bit more every time you do something good. And if you do something stupid like get a charging foul or get a, get, get a foul or let a teammate score a basket or, or let an opponent score a basket, it goes down a little bit. Um, Which is fine. Like... In, and it resets every game, though? It, but it resets every game. And that's the part where it feels a little weird because, like... You know, I was playing a career mode, and by like the first few games, like it makes sense. But by the end of the by the by the end of my first season, I was putting up 50, 60 points a game. I was stealing eight or ten times. I was getting MVP every single night. I was MVP of the month. I was player of the year. Um, on that next game you start, they're like, "Okay, you got to prove yourself to right. us." Right? Come on! And every single game you start over at a C. And like to some extent, I get why they do it because, like, yes, at some point, you know. 
you know, if, if, if they don't make you prove yourself every night, you're just going to, at some point, you're going to be so good that you're always starting with, hey, but the reality is like, I, there's, but there's, that's, that's kind of realistic. And, and cause but there's also that if, if you're like if that you're, good, yes, then everyone's, I mean, they're going to magic Johnson, love you. They're going right. to love you. Like you are a super pro at the game. Exactly. That was, that was exactly what I had in my mind is it's like, I don't think that Michael J- Jordan get back, went back after the, the locker room afterwards. And people were like, dude, you let him dunk six points on you. <laughs> you know that doesn't happen and like like i like like i understand why they do it at some point because it's like if every single game it was just like well i'm so good i don't even need to try anymore like that would be a problem but like my feeling would be start you out higher and have things penalize you more or, or, or less no or something. i i think what really should should happen in that case is they should start you at c yep. at the beginning and it should be a persistent score yes but the penalties should be stronger overall to make it so that you still have to fight to maintain a high score. Right, that would be good. Yeah, like the higher it gets, the higher you have. Like, yeah, because post- like, like say, say, uh, if you're at a C and you miss a couple of shots, you stay around a C. Right. But if you're an A and you miss a couple of shots, it might drop you an entire score just right. because. Once you are like the big pro and or, you make a couple of mistakes, they might be like, "Why is he?" Or, or on the other hand, or 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 on the other hand, maybe it's 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 more of a. Well, if if you score thirty points a game, you get a, a C, and if you score fifty points a game, you get an A. So if you drop, you know, ten or fifteen points, and like one, maybe like one game doesn't really do much, but two or three games, like if you start to see a trend, then it really plummets really fast. Like, because everybody has a bad game, but if you have like three or four, like if you start having a, a bad streak, like a cold streak, then maybe that actually penalizes you and makes it harder to bust out of the slump or something. Like there yeah. are ways around it. Yeah, totally. Like every every type of scoring type of thing could stack in some way. And- so if you keep missing shots, you would consistently drop. Yeah, yeah, that. exactly. Yeah, I think I think there's some really fun ways to to uh, to play with that. But yeah, that 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 was the first one for me that I was just like, wait a minute. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. It's inconsistent no. with the real world. with logic. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those where like, yeah, again, I like I know why I understand why they did it for gameplay reasons, but it doesn't quite square. Mm. Uh, another one for me that that really kind of is weird for me is this game called Another Brick in the Mall, which I'll also say is a stupid name. Um, yeah. Like, I like Pink Floyd, but that's a dumb name. It just just because, yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of like banking on yes. Pink Floyd to make I guess. you it, Which is sort of like um, Prison Architect, but for malls. Yeah. Um, which It's a cute game. Really hard. But my biggest problem with it is that it doesn't really work the way malls do. Because, and, and again, I understand why they do it for gameplay reasons, where, like, each day you're supposed to be basically making making a profit every single day mm-hmm. um, because each day is graded on, on its own and you know it's it's like whatever but that's not really how malls work like most of them, for most malls you're doing you're breaking even eight months out of the year and it's really that fourth quarter like Christmas time where you're really making most like there's a reason it's called Black Friday. Oh yeah, um, because that's the day that you actually you know like you're well that's now the month November is kind of like a month of- sure sure but, but that's that's just because people are gross right well that's because yes but um but i mean that that was usually when it, like usually it was that week was when you finally got yourself back out of running in the red for the rest of the year and uh, it really doesn't like it it could have that i actually think that would be a really fun addition to it is like you know once once every week or once every month you have one day of really big sales and if you know it's coming you can capitalize on it or just some sort of uh, uh, business cycle yes. where, where things f- 
fluctuate in a fairly believable and repeating manner. And, and in a lot of ways, again, coming like going back to that thing we've talked about before, where like some realism is good, but but more realism isn't necessarily better. Like there are fun things you could do with doing that. Like that would add an interesting challenge for the player. Mm-hmm. Um, like don't just make it like don't make it realistic solely for the sense of being realistic. Like I don't, I don't, I'm not asking for that. But like I think there are interesting things you could do with things like staffing, like. Oh crap, I know next week's going to be really busy, so I need to put in an extra cash register, or I need to plan to have an extra cash register year round, and then leave somebody off it for three months, and then put somebody on it, and then like figuring out scheduling and stuff. Like, there are things you could do with that that would make it interesting. I got one for you. Okay. Angry birds. Okay. How come these birds can't fly on their, under their own power? Why do they need a slingshot to fly? They're well, birds! Have you heard of penguins? They're not penguins. <laughs> if it, if, sure if it was angry penguins, that would be a different matter. Actually, angry penguins would be really awesome because you could have an entire like ice theme game. Oh yeah, we could do that. Except for I hate ice themes. Well, that you're a bad person. <laughs> yes, I am. So, um, okay, so now a real one. Uh, Need for Speed. Okay. Um, certain racing games have this, and we might have mentioned this in the past. I, I don't remember. Um, Need for Speed was particularly bad about yes. that collision physics in a racing game. I know they're not perfect. Like as an example, one of my favorite racing games is Dirt. Yes, and collision figure uh, physics in that aren't perfect. No, um, Gran Turismo is the same way, but they're more believable. Yeah, if you catch an edge, you can flip your car over. Need for Speed. I still remember going in a Lamborghini, doing 120 miles an hour, and hitting a tree or something and just coming to a dead stop yeah no damage to the car the car doesn't flip there's no like tumbling end over end you can't even roll a car over there's no physical way you can roll a car over i think i think a lot of that is because need for speed is a lot more arcadey but i I agree that would actually be interesting that that's the thing about that is is it really bugs me in the more arcadey style games where they the physics i mean i can understand there being a little flexibility in how the physics are handled yeah but some of those games, it kind of bothers me that the physics are so off the norm that yeah. I don't get when I hit something. I don't get this beautiful like, like it, it should like it should err on the side of like it shouldn't err on the side of easy. It should err on the side of dramatic. Yeah, like burnout. I think is great. Uh, uh, yeah, burnout had a where, fantastic. Or like, I mean, burnout was still forgiving, and like you could hit things, like you could hit things and, and drive was, away from them. It was by no means real. No, but but I mean, in a way that like like Gran Turismo's physics is, if you hit something, you're in serious trouble. Like there is no coming back from that. <laughs> yeah, that like, is true. I I think in a game like Need for Speed or Burnout, if you hit something, you should still be able to recover from that. Like not like in it in, like dirt if you. There's like three three gradations. Like in, in Gran Turismo, if you hit something, you're done. You're out of the race, unless yeah. it's a really long race. Mm-hmm. In dirt, if you hit something, if you if you get if somebody spins you out, you can recover, but you're definitely going to be spending the next lap or two on catch up. Yeah. And in Need for Speed or Burnout, if you crash, it puts you three seconds behind. Or, or Burnout does. Need for Speed brings you to a dead stop, and then you have to. You're still way behind because by the you have to back up and get out and especially with the the newer versions of Dart, uh, there's some yeah. damage. Like you can damage your engine, you can damage your wheels. If you hit something fast enough, there's a realism. Oh yeah, you told told your although, car. Although here, here, but you really have to try hard to tow your car. In right, game. right. But 
Well, they, they, you could turn collision physics on, and then it will, like, car damage on, and then that makes it way more difficult. No, no, that's the way I play it. That's what I'm oh, talking about. Oh, okay. About. I don't play with I, – I play it with graphical collision only. I don't no, well, with. there's an – when you have collision damage on, there's indicators that say that your t- tires are damaged and right. your, your steering and your performance goes down, and then you can damage your engine. Right. Well, and see, I, I, I don't think you should have that stuff in, a, in an arcade game. No, not in an arcade game. Yeah. But – Okay, so so let's let's take the more realistic games out of out of the perspective okay. here. We'll focus on the arcade one, ones and why that feels wrong. And, and a great comparison is Need for Speed and Burnout because they're right. both arcade in style. They both fake the physics, right? But Burnout does it in such a way that it's far more believable, even though you know going well, that, 150 that was, that was miles an hour yeah. through an intersection and hitting a tractor trailer truck, your car's not going to look the way it does, right? And in fact, in truth, it's not going to explode in a ball of flame either. But it's far more believable in appearance than Need for Speed when you're doing 150 and you hit a tractor trailer truck. And the tractor trailer truck is the one that fake flips through the air to get out of your way. So here, I I can actually tell you why that happens. Why is that? They're licensed cars. Oh, you know what? And I got what you're saying. You're not a. There are. I, I, again, I uh, I was listening to to really old Giant Bobcast recently, and they were talking about when Criterion got bought out and was put in charge of the Need for Speed games, Criterion obviously being the ones who did Burnout, all the Burnout games. So -hmm. the trick to Burnout is Burnout didn't use licensed cars. When you're using licensed cars, there are all sorts of things you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to crumple the the driver's side of the car. You're not allowed to imply that if a car gets damaged, that people could get injured or die. That Well, that actually – well, so that actually explains a few things because when you're playing um, Dirt – Yep. You can you can lose doors. Right. The car can be smashed to smithereens. But you're right. the 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 shape of the door is always perfect. Exactly. It does not look like it's collapsed. Right. And it's, that makes it's, sense. It's, it's, you can't imply that the car is dangerous to well, drive. In. Right. Yeah. Or, or I mean, legally, you can. I think that's an advertise. That's an advertise because it's an advertisement. Basically, is the the people who own the products. Well, don't I don't think doing. they view it that way, which is why they can get away with that. No, no. But that's what, what I mean is right. But I mean, what I mean is. I'm saying it's not a legal thing. I'm saying it is a a, a the people who own the, the IP don't want. You yeah, to no, do it. that's right, what right. that's okay, what I'm talking yes, about. Yes. Yeah. The license holders specifically, but yeah, that's and that's where a lot of that comes from. I, I also wonder, especially with some of the older Need for Speed games, if it also might be partially just a limitation of some of the engine stuff. Like, but I mean, the, like in the not- older ones, I believe that was because uh, having a good realistic physics engine is is a product of. I think of that as being like, yeah, late, um, late PS2 era at best. And at, on the at the same time, though, the newer Need for Speeds kind of maintain that because yeah. they believe it's expected of them to have that, and, and that I, physics engine. And I can't play modern Need for Speed games. I've mentioned that before. I have because of my eyesight issues. I literally can't play the Criterion uh, uh, Need for Speeds. Unfortunately, too noisy. You just too yeah, just too much like glare and i i can real I, I i can do it on a pc monitor but i cannot do it on a tv mm. it's just too hard i can't see where i'm supposed to be going there's just too much clutter and noise and everything else so yeah i i understand it's that. a little I, frustrating I it's not it's not as there was i uh, was it need for seed speed three hot pursuit that's probably the best one that they had I think I pers- really- well i really liked the gamecube version of most wanted uh-huh um which was the one that came out after uh underground right uh, which was really good. And I think I think for me that was their last good. I almost actually beat the enti- that entire game, and I'm bad at racing games. And mm-hmm. I I made it to like the next to last boss, and I learned a lot. Like I feel like after playing that game, I was better at racing games than I was before I started playing that game. Yeah, I think after that you started playing Dirt with me, and, and um, yeah. 
in comparison, because we played Need for Speed 3 Hot Pursuit yeah. a lot together, and I owned you a lot. Yes. And then when you came back with Dirt, you were actually much more competitive. Yes. I will say that much. Yeah. Well, and, and Dirt handles a lot like Need for Speed. In some ways. It's, 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 a, lot, it's a lot slipperier. Yeah, because you're on dirt. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the other thing is I'm very, like, even in real life, I'm pretty good at recovering from spinning out, which is a pretty good skill to have if you live in an icy area like we do. Yeah, especially in the weather we've been having. Yeah, seriously. It is. All right, I have a game. Go for it. Uh, Just Cause. So I love Just Cause, and, and, and there's nothing in Just Cause that is particularly realistic. Let's be fair. It is it is a 100% action movie. Uh, if you haven't played Just Cause, Just Cause is a lot of fun. But there is... It, it it is it, it is insignificant in in the broader scheme of things, but for some reason the fact that you can be falling, you could be free falling, you could fire your grappling hook at the ground, grab the ground, pull yourself towards the ground as fast as you can, and land on your feet completely fine has always driven me crazy. Oh, uh, and and that other mechanic um, is using your par- your it's not a parachute, it's like it's a, a parasail. Gl- yeah, it's a parasail. It's a herring glider, a parasail, along with your hookshot thingy. To drag yourself along. That I think you actually could do. Because basically what you're doing is you're using it to pull yourself upwards at an angle. Well, you're pulling yourself forward and the parachute is is providing upward lift. It's getting lift, yes. That that I at least feel is I realistic. don't think that's actually possible. In truth. I don't know. I mean, in the same way that I feel like you could do it with an actual, like, like a... Well, no. I, I actually There's actually a guy who lives up in uh, where I used to live who actually has a a thing that works on that principle. It was this little like motorized hang glider, essentially. Well, yeah, but it's, it, that's because it's got a motor and it provides constant thrust and along with the hang but glider. It, but what it does is it pull, it basically pulls the hang glider thing up and then back down in a way. Like well, it, yeah. It, it, like it, it, the hang glider is at a specific angle. So it's basically well, pulling it's forward. Because it's a wing. It's dragging no, it upwards. No, 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 no. It's a wing. It's curved and the wind going over it right. is going faster than but the wind it, under but it's, it. But, and it's, and it's, it but, it's a, but it's a sail. Which is which works like a wing, right? But what I'm saying is, I feel like the hang glider would do the same thing. Uh technically, but I don't. My problem with it is, I don't think you have the physical strength to. Oh do no, that. no, no, no! Certainly. And, and, and going back to that, um, just a, a shout out to Matt Pat and the guys at. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Matt Pat's the guy who does the the um, YouTube videos covering uh, a game theory. Oh, game theory. Okay, and one of the ones that he talks about is what would happen if you were to actually use a hookshot. And he goes through all the maths and yeah. explained that if you actually used a real hookshot, it would shatter your arm oh, yeah. and then rip you in half yeah. when it pulled you to its target because of the velocities and mass and yes. all that fun stuff. Well, I mean, so, that's, that's why grappling like grappling hooks are something you throw over things and then climb up. You don't yeah. actually drag yourself. The, the, the hookshot mechanic is actually technically at the speeds that they provide lethal right but i mean that but interestingly like that doesn't feel no that's the funny thing is is even though that's completely contrary to it you believe that mechanic would work right well and and i think a lot of that is because like this is something we talked about when we were talking about sports games like there is it's the difference between theatrical reality and real reality like sports games i'm like and i think anybody who reviews sports games will say this like you are way more critical about a sports game than you are about say blood bowl or um, because you expect more from it. It's, no, it's not that you expect more from it. It's that it. It's the uncanny valley thing. It is. 
you know exactly what a sports game looks like. If you play, if you watch football, if you watch soccer, if you watch baseball, you know what a baseball game looks like. You know, this person's going to, I mean, we have stats. I can tell you in 1976, how many home runs any specific player hit. I can tell you how many times he struck out. I can tell you how many times he batted, how many times mm-hmm. he bunted. So if you have a guy whose stats are, if he hits 17 times more home runs than he should, you can look at that and instantly say something is wrong here. You know, or if you were playing a football game and your guy, or guy and your quarterback can throw for 120 yards, most quarterbacks can't do that. And you could instantly say something feels a little off here. Um, or if you're running a pass play that you know should be really safe and you fumble it every time, like you can say something feels off here. And then, and, and then some of the question is, is it me or is it, is it the game? But, you know, as opposed to in Blood Bowl where, I don't know about you, I've never watched dwarves versus orcs playing football. So I don't know what that would look like if it was to happen. That's true. And I was also thinking about, um, as you were talking about that, Rocket League is the same way. Rocket League is in that, much the same way. In that because it's so disconnected from reality, yes. it develops its own balance. It does. And there is theory that you can use if you understand soccer theory, but you don't notice it when things feel off in quite the same way. And I would actually say it's it's not that dissimilar to, say, um, fighting games versus wrestling games. Like, I watch pro wrestling. I know what a wrestling match looks like. When I watch somebody play a wrestling game, it does not line up with that because most people play wrestling games like they're fighting games, mm-hmm. which is not what a wrestling match is. A wrestling right. match is designed to have this very specific flow. It's which supposed- is... Which is why you like TEW so much. Right. Because there's no actual wrestling in that. <laughs> yeah. That's also why I kind of enjoy watching uh, Fire Pro Wrestling because those are automated matches. And they actually grade you on how enjoyable the match is to watch. So I may be picking that up someday. But yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's a big thing is a lot of people play. That, that's, re- that's a really good one, actually, is, is professional wrestling games like the WWE game bug the crap out of me because they don't feel like wrestling. They feel like fighting games, right. which is not what. Here, I got, Which is not what wrestling is. I got one for wrestling you. I want to. I want to kind of grade what you think about its <laughs> level of believability. Okay. Space engineers. Mm, not very real. No, and that's kind of the funny thing because you kind of you kind of want it to be just like Minecraft in space, but yes. there's something about that that just feels off key. And and somehow uh, medieval engineers compensates that, and I don't know why. I don't think they've played enough space engineers, but but. Interesting premise. Go with it. Run with it. What what is it that bugs you? I'm not sure. That's the problem. I'm you know not I, sure because like like space I'll, I'll engineers and medieval engineers are both essentially the same mechanics. I'll, um, t- I'll take a stab. Go for it. Scale. You know what? I think you might be right. <laughs> I think that is part of the problem. Yeah. And you know this is actually uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this out there. For space a, is big, y'all. Um, th- uh, I have this problem with a lot of games. Yes. Um. A uh, sense of scale is always a problem. And even mm. like space strategy games. Like I love Homeworld, but I hate the sense of scale. There was a game, um, something Orion. It was a strategy game. That was Orion? No, no, no. Not not that kind of strategy game. It was like um, Homeworld in the way that it was played. Oh, uh, Starbase Orion. No, 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 no. Uh, it was a strategy first game. Hmm. Well, um, I'll, I'll look at what you keep talking. So, and, and the sense of scale was awesome like in in home world you can always see the like the ships and there's there's some scaling but it's not like deep space it's just kind of like you're in a little pocket of 
of space and everything's happening in this tiny little area, which is probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe at its outside a few miles. Mm -hmm. And that's just not realistic. And on top of that, this game did it with a much greater sense of scale where when you were zooming out to look at the cruisers, the smaller classes of ships, the fighter classes of ships were little glowing dots because right. they were that small. Yes. So the sense of scale between ships was far more realistic. Mm -hmm. And it still wasn't perfect because the planets were incorrect. In fact, one of the games that I thought was best at this was Eve. And I love yeah. the way that they handled the planets around you. You were in an actual solar system that was to scale. And you had to use your hyper speed thing to travel from one point to the other. And the way that they handled that in the server where it, when you were in a physical location, you were actually in an instance yeah. um, that was described as a specific location in the solar system. So um, if you know anything about developing games, which uh, I don't know how many people here are actual developers, uh, uh, most people understand the concept of a skybox, right? right? Where it kind of gives the impression of vastness. Right. So the solar system was actually rendered as a skybox. Yeah. So you could actually move when it was... Uh, the way I saw it is it was rendering the local stuff in the area, but then everything else was just like a skybox. So when you were moving, you were moving the point of view of the skybox uh, a small amount. Right. And that kind of gave that, a sense of depth, and it was really well done. I think that really only works in – I mean, like, they do something similar with um, – uh, not Elite. Um, yeah, Elite. They do that with Elite. Yeah, I mean, they do something similar with that. I think it's – it works. I don't think it would work with. I mean, the problem with strategy games is you have to be able to. Well, I would say, um, uh, not space empires. Um, Sense of a solar empire does, does a better does scale pretty well. Fairly I think, well. Yeah. I think a lot of the problem is with with a lot of those games. You're dealing with things that are like homeworld. The sense of scale is off because everything has to be big enough that you can see it. And yeah. Well, because because the gameplay in that is much more micro. Right. So and fast. You, Micro, well, I mean, it's still a slow strategy game, but it's yes, fast you're compared right. to Sins of Solar Empire. That is true. Yes, and and that that is so it, it's scale to be acceptable, yeah. and that's why that's why I forgive Homeworld for it yeah. because it's not it doesn't make it unbelievable. It fits with the feel of the game. Yeah, I, I also think you like I notice scale in things like uh, European Universalis and those games where yeah. like the units are half the size of the the, the countries yeah, they like, come from, but I don't notice it a lot. I think that's a designer thing. That is well, they're supposed to be representative, right? Which is good. Yes. Actually, um, another game that handles scale really well is oh, what's the name of that game? It's it, there's no actual like real visible uh, uh visuals. Um, oh, Aurora. Aurora. Yeah. Um, the sense of scale of that is amazing in that like the ships are just points on on. It's more like a tactical map, and you can see their like radar range and their weapons ranges, yes. but you never actually see the ships themselves. Because they don't actually exist as ships, they they exist as points. Yes, that's actually a really good. That's that's a really good point. <laughs> um, so actually, while we've been talking, I actually did find one on my Steam library that I think is a great one to discuss for a few minutes here. Go for it, Big Pharma. Oh. <laughs> there is something wrong with the game. That's another one I have difficulty it's quantifying. Just, I actually. A lot of the problem with that game is that it doesn't understand how big pharmacies actually big pharma actually works, and a game called Big Pharma can't do that. Um, 
No, it, it kind of fails in that regard, doesn't it? It really does. And what I think the issue is... You know, they should have called it Little Pharma, because it's all about the mac- micro. I mean, it's, it's, it's supposed to be a parody of the big pharma issue. It doesn't really understand how the pharmaceutical industry works, because it assumes that the industry itself can push... It assumes a supply-focused economy, which is that the person who is manufacturing the products gets to set the price and the availability of the products. And that's not really how most economies work. Most economies, at least at least in the way that feels normal to most people, there are, there is, there are supply-demand-driven economies. They're usually in things like rentals and housing and those kinds of things. Right. In... Most things are demand-driven economy, which is people are buying these things, so you manufacture them. If more people buy them, you sell more of them or or you sell them for a higher price. There isn't really demand in big pharma. It is a a fully – you are manufacturing products, and then you're just sending them out there. And you're setting the price in an abstract form saying, well, I'd like to charge this much for it. Um, The expansion pack, Malice and Malpractice. Malice and malpractice? That seems wrong, but we'll go with it. Might be medicine and malpractice. Does, Sounds like malice and malpractice. Probably. Which, again, didn't add a whole lot of malice to it. Made some more... like So Big Pharma itself feels more like a puzzle game than an actual strategy game. I yeah. will say that. The, the, the expansion makes it a little bit more like a strategy game. It does feel a little more like head-to-head. There is things like trying to price your competitors out of the market and refine the products so that they... Don't have as many side effects and that kind of stuff makes it makes it so you can sell things for more and you can buy patents and stuff, but it never really feels like there's any way to really change the amount of supply you have. It doesn't ever really feel like it matters because supply is steady because, because yes, exactly. Because supply is steady and it would make more sense to have, um, a supply fluctuation and stuff like that. Exactly. I mean, honestly, it would make sense to have it demand driven, like, if I'm putting out, th- you know, if I can, I can either devote one entire factory to pumping out five product, five five products, or I can make all five assembly lines one run product. And if I I can either set, put out one really expensive product or five kind of expensive products, and they both wind out working the same. Whereas in a real world, that isn't how it works. Like Tylenol outsells, uh, Tylenol outsells casts because more people have minor aches and pains than have broken legs. That's true. Just the way it is. Uh, you know what? Actually, um, thinking about that, what would make that game really a lot more interesting? Yes. Adding warehousing. Where, yeah. Where you have to actually like receive mm-hmm. the material that you're making with and you can set how often it's ordered. <coughs> yeah, totally. <coughs> but you actually have to be careful with um, maybe you won't be able to get it Logi- at the same lo- price. Uh, yeah. Logistic. Lo- Logistics and lawsuits. There you go. Logistics and lawsuits. I mean, that would be the other thing. Would be if your product is too bad, you know, put some risk into that. Like, yeah. put some risk into bad products, rushing products to market. Uh, dealing with uh, after, oh, not after effects, but some of the uh, derogatory thingamajigs. Like advertisements. Happen. No, 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 no. The um, uh, what happens when you take a pill and it does something? That's- oh, side effects. Side effects. Well, I mean, they do they do have some of that in there, but it's it's basically just the less side effects you have or the weaker they are, the better the product is. So the higher grade it'll get, which doesn't really feel right. Like, because again, like not like it, 
it's this weird abstract thing because like in the real world, not all side effects apply to all people. Like mm-hmm. Tylenol has a risk of death associated with it. Oh yeah. Um, most people don't die from taking Tylenol. But, but there's that one on person. There. So, so say like, so theoretically, according to, you know, big pharma, Tylenol would be considered a B, even though th- the risk of death is so low. Like it's like one in one in a hundred thousand that most people are still going to take it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but we've said before, like big pharma is just not a very good game. So at some point, like complaining about that feels like guilting, but I really want to get it out there. Cause we've talked, we've mentioned it a couple of times and never really gotten to what really bugs me about that game. So now yeah. we have. Um, let's see here. I had other things. Oh, um, here. Let's talk about. I got ones to throw at you. Gratuitous space battles. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but go ahead. Uh, uh, pitch it. That's, a, that's an interesting thing about that one. Um, it does have something odd about how, like, I guess probably the problem with that is the fact that there's just nowhere to go with that. Once you, you've you made a few fleets and yeah. all the mat stuff, there's just no no continuing. But there's like it's, it lacks depth. It does. And in a way that kind of like, I don't even know if that actually is relevant to what we're talking about here. I, I don't know. I mean, it's definitely a bad game. Or it's definitely a frustrating game, but I'm not sure that it feels wrong so much as it just feels lacking. Well, I think it's just because it... it there lacks any context, but for any of the situations that are having these ships, the ships can be designed however you want. Yes, there's very little to limit what you can do. So it's just kind of like just these massive fleets randomly appearing out of nowhere and fighting each other. Yes, and in in a lot of ways, that kind of that that goes rubs against the grain for me in what I feel like should be right. Yeah, no, totally. I I totally agree with you on that. Oh, I have one that feels wrong. <laughs> Go for it. Sky Drift does not have an aileron. Impossible to play. Sky Drift? It was a plane style racing game. Oh. Uh, and you can't roll? You can roll. Oh, it's you. There's no pitch. No, no, it's pitch. There's yaw. no yaw. There's no yaw. So there's no, uh, that's the vertical, what is that called? Rudder. It's, it's, that's yeah, the vertical the, the, rudder. The aileron. No, no the ailerons, ailerons are, are the, the ones on the wings. wings. Yeah, you're right. Sorry. Um, yes, there's no rudder. Um, so there's no. Oh, that's disgusting. Or or it's you can't you can't yaw, but you can. I'm roll, trying to remember right? if you, I'm trying to remember if it's you, you can yaw. I, I have not played it in a long time, um, a really long time. Crab environments. Oh, I know one thing you wanted to talk about. Orwell's view of Big Brother perspective. I think on. you wanted to talk about that one. I, but was that was that me? Oh, maybe it was me. Well, either way, um, uh, I wanted to bring it up because I know that was yeah. Okay, so it was something I wanted to talk about. Okay. So uh, we played a little bit of Orwell a while Yeah, we back. both played it. Um, and there was a problem with, and this is something that comes up with certain types of games, um, when people try to pitch a concept, mm. uh, an ideology almost. Oh, that actually brings me another, remind me to talk about Super Hot while we're talking about Okay, Orwell. yeah, okay. So uh, in this particular case, the, the person is trying to make a statement which not only do I not entirely agree with, yeah. but I feel is kind of disconnected with reality. And that it is pushing it is pushing it to That's true. Okay. So it's it taking is, it is disconnected it is disconnected from its own argument. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Uh cause because it's trying to kind of uh worry you off of uh well scare you about 
this potential future that we have ahead of us. Why don't, why don't you talk, why don't you summarize or- Orwell real quick? Okay. So Orwell in itself is is a game where you play a person who's been employed to look into information provided to you. Yeah, like a counterterrorism type thing. Yeah, you're playing a counterterrorist in a way. You're researching into these people's lives to decide whether or not they've committed terrorist acts and trying to prevent them from causing them again. And can I just say that, like, outside of the plot part, like, I actually really like the game itself. Like, I actually find that kind of, that concept the, fun and interesting. The gameplay mechanics are it's very of, cool. It's it's very much like uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting detective. It's like, oh, this thing is here and this thing is here and we're going to pull all these little pieces of information together and fit them together and sort of make this web. You're building a dossier yes. on, on this event and the people involved in it trying to figure out who was involved. And it, it, it feels like playing through like an episode of Murder, She Wrote. Yeah, in a way. Um, and, but the thing about it is it kind of leaves it open to interpretation as to the results of what you're doing, right? whether or not, even though you might actually catch the person involved, yeah. the person responsible. And this is the, one of the things I was worried about is sometimes they kind of leave it ambiguous whether or not you're catching the right person. Right. And, and a lot of that the is time, and that's intentional and that bugged me that, that, well, that's one of the major things is, is is they're trying to pre- present this this argument that even it, with this big brother level of of uh, oversight over the world yeah. and and pretty much unlimited access to everything, um, that you could still be wrong. I'm not sure. I feel that that's not, that in and of itself. I'm not necessarily sure I have a problem with. Well, because no. There, I, they, I mean, they, there's there's truth to that, yes. but. The way that it presents that argument, I don't entirely agree with. See, for for me, it's a lot more the what's the term? It's it's a little too blunt. It's a little too in your face about a lot of it. Yeah. Um. Where like the idea that you might pull the wrong information doesn't like I actually remember watching your let's play and you had one where you missed a major clue, which was not necessarily your fault. Um. It was just the way you were playing. You didn't notice one like you. You had come across a blog about a relationship, and there was either this girl is still dating this guy or this girl isn't still dating this guy and has broken up with them. And you went with one thing that she had said, and the reality was the opposite, that she had actually broken up with him. And you said that they were still dating um, right. because of the fact that she was – because you had mis- misinterpreted the order of a – timeline like a feed like oh was, that's right because i was reading it backwards you, you, you were you were reading it like a facebook feed and it was like a twitter feed so the newest one was on top and you thought it was the oldest one right. or vice versa yeah, and, i remember reading your response after i had made right. the wrong decision um, yeah but which is interesting but but that led to like if you like I've, i i read it the right way and i i said oh no they're broken up she's just razzing him or they were never dating or whatever it was and then tracking through her, I wound up finding, oh, no, so she has this friend, and this friend is a, works as a maid, and she's been the one who's been going back and forth to this place, and I don't really want to spoil too much of it, but so she's been going back and forth to this place, working as a, um, as a part-time job, and she planted the bomb there, and I sent them to the right place. And you didn't. You thought, oh, well, she goes to this, works at this company, so she probably placed it here. And you were like, "Well, I don't understand how she wound it wound up getting blown up at this at this other place." I don't feel like I had any warning, and I'm like, "Well, it also blew up there for me, and I did catch her." So it is interesting to see, like I was, I am glad like having seen how both of them played out that they stick to their guns. Like it, the bomb is always in the same place, whether or not you catch it or not, which I like. It's not it's not like um it's not like check or not Chekhov's. It's not like Schrodinger's bomb. It's not like wherever you 
catch think they are, it's in the opposite place. Yeah, I was worried that that was the direction they were going. going no, it, to. it is. There is a bomb. You have to find which of the three places it is. And if you are wrong, you're wrong. And if you're right, you're right. And I actually like that because what that's because that to me feels real. Mm-hmm. Like that is crap. I'm working for the CIA. I'm under the gun. I have ten minutes to figure this out. She probably went here. I hope I'm right. And you just and you pray about it and you hope that they're right. Which feels real. Like that part feels real to me. The mm-hmm. part that I had an issue with is the fact is the way that this is the way that your handler is so like a he is so uncomfortable about his own job drives me nuts. Mm-hmm. Like if you actually think surveillance is bad, maybe you shouldn't go into a surveillance job. And B, like the way that the, it's it's so heavy handed in the oh we're fine talking we're fine digging into this guy. Oh, but we dug into his bank accounts and we found out that he's behind on his payments. Ooh, now I feel gross looking for his stuff. Or there's another character later on in the game where you go through his hospital records. You find out that he's dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. Your guy says, oh, good. That's That will tell us that he's probably angry because he's about to die. And then you go later and you look up something and you find out that he may or may not be gay. And your guy comes up on the screen he's like... Oh, I feel all gross knowing that about this guy. Like, I feel like I'm prying into his life and I don't have the right to know that. Like, dude, you found, we found out less than 10 minutes ago that the dude's dying in a less than a year and you were celebrating finding that information. Now, I'm not... Tr- There's no continuity in like, the character. Even, even, even without, like, getting into the whole, like, should your sexuality be private or not, I feel like it should at least be as... Pro- like, I feel like it should be at least as private as whether or not you're about to die. Um, like, I don't feel like either of those should be more protected, certainly. So the fact that one of those makes you uncomfortable, and it just so happens to be a thing that a lot of people, that happens to currently be a hot topic, really made me crazy. Like, I understand why they picked that thing to be the thing that he feels uncomfortable about, because that's the thing that everybody's constantly talking about nowadays, is, well, you know, people's sexuality should be private to them, and people's gender identity should be private to them and that's a very hot topic in politics but if you're going to do that you can't then turn around and have them be excited about people dying and you can't have them be excited about people having psychotic issues and you know those things you can't say one of those is good to know and the other is not okay to know because frankly i think that whether or not people are psychotic should be more private than their sexuality Mm -hmm. because chances are if they are if they are a gay or a straight person you are going to figure that out whereas if they are psychotic you hopefully never will well, I mean, within reason. I mean, if it's if it's a threat to your... No, no, but I mean, yes, but if they're medicating, you shouldn't... Like, if they're well, actually if, dealing with it properly, you yeah. never should. Uh, under, understanding that, that they're... Um, if they're getting proper treatment, right. it like, shouldn't really be a... Right, if, if, if they're being treated for it, you should never have to know that. In the same way that when I was being treated for cancer, I was not particularly forthcoming about that fact, because I, I mean... I was bald, so it wasn't like it was hard to hide or easy no. to hide. But, like, you know, I don't necessarily want people knowing all of my emotional issues or mental issues or physical issues, but I don't necessarily care that people know that I like girls. So, and I understand for gay people it's a little different because they could face being attacked or whatnot, but nowadays most of them don't either. So I'm not sure that no. I feel that. Like I, I understand why it's it's a a hot button issue, but I don't necessarily know that it well, was hammer hole. Well, we'll the say way in, it was weighted was wrong. Let's it, say in 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 the context of that particular scene, the guy was hiding the fact that he was gay. So right. So whether or not that that is relevant, but sure. 
in in that type of situation, if you're if you're working for a government that feels that oversight of this nature is necessary, yes, you it should be a matter of well, I am doing this because it's required of me, and the commentary over whether or not this is morally acceptable should not even account into well, it. Well, I mean, because I, I mean, technically speaking, if you have a moral problem with it, like you said before, you shouldn't be in the job. Well, well there's well, there's three things. There's that. Again, there's the there's the weighting of what is and isn't uh, of what they think is and should and shouldn't make you feel uncomfortable seems off. And three, like again, these are actual terrorists who have planted actual bombs. Like there's a big difference between saying, like the first character you follow turns out to be completely innocent. Like in that case, I can say, you know what? Fine, maybe maybe we're prying a little too much into her life. She did turn out to be innocent this time. She didn't do anything. Yes, she wound up getting in a fight with a police officer at one point, but realistically, in the grand scheme of things, that's small potatoes. Most people have had a fight with a police officer at least once in their life. Um, But when you're dealing with people who have murdered people, who have planted bombs, like, guess what? I don't bloody care whether or not the man is gay. He just murdered 50 people. Yeah. Like, the fact that you came across that information in your... your investigation yes. bears no weight in the situation. There, there, there is a big difference between, you know, if they were to do it like communist Russia, like uh, Papers, Please. Papers, Please is a game that makes me feel bad, like makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. because you are dealing with innocent people and making their lives more difficult. Theoretically, in Orwell, all of the people, you at least have reason to suspect everybody. And I haven't finished the game. Maybe, maybe you get into the point where that it does turn into big brother and you're following everybody even if they're innocent but so far it's always been terrorists or te- or, or assumed to terrorists at which point realistically now we have people who are assumed like people in jail don't have a whole lot of privacy either and and that what the what the patriot act uh, i don't know if that's still in effect but for a yeah. long time for years uh, it's been the policy. If they suspect you of anything, they have they can wiretap you. They can do whatever they right. need to to ensure that you are not a threat to people. Well, I mean, I, I think that's what this is supposed to be a commentary on. It's uh, saying it is, that that's exactly, not appropriate. Yeah. But the reality is, like, even with that stuff, you still at least need to go to a judge and get a warrant and say, look, we have reasonable we have reasonable evidence and reasonable suspicion to say we suspect this person is probably a terrorist. You don't necessarily have to do it to initially start the wiretapping, but you do have to do it within 24 hours. So I'm not necessarily – again – People aren't perfect. People make mistakes. People do things wrong. Sometimes people are corrupt and evil. But theoretically, there is at least some level of oversight there saying that you're not just going around randomly spying on whoever you want to spy on. And while I understand that whatever the a, a country that wants security and happiness has security and freedom has neither, like all that stuff, sure. But reasonably, at least, we are assuming that people are at least trying to do the right thing. And I know that they aren't always, but at the end of the day, for me, that's kind of where I have come down on that whole thing the whole time. And that game just irritates me yeah. for that reason. But I also, I do want to come back to Super Hot. I actually wrote. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Um, and I will actually try to upload this post at some point before we put the show up. But uh, I wrote a thing that we didn't get to publish on Neon Cheetahs. But I remember what you had shown that to me. Yeah. Or you read I, that to me. I, which basically argued that games like Super Hot and games like Spec Ops want to paint the player as this monster for playing video games. And I understand that it's a commentary on the way that society views gamers and whatnot. Um, 
but they want to do this thing and, and, and movies have done it too. Like funny games is one that I pointed out in my article where they want to make the player out to be some sort of sick voyeur. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, you're enjoying this. Aren't you? You nasty piece of garbage. Um, and I don't think, and I don't agree with that because the reality is they're the ones who have made the game. And yes, you could argue that I'm, it is a quote unquote, you know, Super Hot isn't even particularly all that violent because it's it's a simulation of a sim it's a simulation of a VR simulation which mm. claims that you are killing people in real life but you're not you're killing abstract characters in a VR headset that's you know it's it's one of those intent you know it goes back to that whole intent versus reality things but and that's a, that's one of the messages that it's, that it's game a very is... meta game anyway but. Because that, that game, isn't that game doing the whole, oh, you think you're actually just fighting fake people, it's, but it's, you're actually killing real people Yeah, it's, 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 it's doing it's doing the Ender's Game thing. Yeah. Um, which is fine for a buy-in to a game, right? Like, as, yeah. as, as a plotline, like, it's stupid, it's cheesy, it's hackney, but all right, sure, I'll buy into the premise as a game. It's when you then try to turn that back on me and say, oh, you've been killing all these real people. You're a monster. Don't you feel awful? Aren't games terrible? You're a bad person. I bet you're having fun with this. Like, there's even a point where it's like, you can't stop. And it literally makes you quit the game and restart the game if you want to continue playing. Because to prove that you can't stop, you can't quit, you're addicted. And it's like, all right, sure, I'll buy into your premise that I couldn't stop because I quit and I restarted the game because I wanted to finish it. And I'm enjoying the game. But yes, if, if if it had literally been me actually killing real people, I could have walked away. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Um, and just trying to, that whole trying to turn gaming, like, you're a monster because you're playing this video game, bugs me. Because it's like, you're the ones who made this game. Yeah. You can't call me a sicko. With movies, it's a little different. Because with movies, it is that voyeuristic quality. But with games, it's not. Like, you're the ones who made this. You're the ones who designed this. You're the ones who played this out and tested it and did all of this stuff. Like, it's not quite, like, movies, there is that, like, voyeuristic movies are a real thing, and so it's tapping into that feeling. There is no such thing as a voyeuristic video game, except maybe The Sims. <laughs> but it's not quite, even that's not the same. Hmm. Like, it's not the same. Um, and trying to play paint the players, like, Spec Ops does it, too, real bad, real bad. Um, where, like, at one point, they literally look, like, one of the characters literally looks at the player, I mean, technically they're looking at the character, but... Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking through the character at you and saying, this is all your fault. It's like, no, it's not. It's the guy who designed this game's fault. He, he wrote the game. He wrote the game. Thing. He wrote, you know, it's just, yeah, it doesn't work with video games. There's too many layers of abstraction. Like, I see what they're going for, but it just doesn't work. And it just feels hokey. And and especially with, with, with like, it, it especially bothers me that it's game designers trying to make gamers feel guilty for playing video games. Like, and this is what I said in my review or in my article is like, I do my job. I go to work. I take care of myself. I clean my house for the most part. I cook deals most of the time. I do all of the things that an adult, a mature adult is supposed to be doing. Do I do them perfectly? No. Am I lazy sometimes? Yes. You know, am I, does that make me a bad person? I don't think so. Does playing games automatically make me a bad person? No. Does it automatically make me childish? No. Should I even have to justify this? No. Like, I'm doing the things that an adult is supposed to be doing. I shouldn't then have people try to turn that on me and make me feel guilty about it. And like, that's, 
Well, that, especially people who are ostensibly supposed to be growing the genre. Yeah, that that's that's the big thing about that too, which I, which I see it's it's akin to a cigarette company, yeah, condemning <clears throat> the people who use their product. Right. It's one thing to be smoking cigarettes, and it's another thing entirely to be producing them. Yes, and I and I will also say like Funny Games, which is the game, which is the movie that I mentioned, was a was a horror was well a it was a horror movie, and b it was a commentary on. Like, that's the other thing is, like, there is a history now of movies commenting on movies. Like, as you know, like, movies as an art form have been around for a hundred years. Video games have not. And should they be able to comment on themselves? Yes. Should they be able to do some of this stuff? Yes. But it isn't really structurally in place yet. And, like, Funny Games is commenting on the fact that, you know, according to Michael Haneke, that uh, it's... That he feels that movies have got that, that audiences love for violent movies have pushed movies to be more violent, and I'm not sure. And I kind of agree with him on that subject, and that that there is an aspect of the voyeurism that has made people seek out more and more violent, and gross, and depraved content. And I kind of agree with him on that. Well, I mean, uh, the current trend of YouTube with uh, what's his face? Yeah, exactly. I mean. Uh, it, well, I'm not even going to – I even just mean in movies. Like, if you compare movies from the 50s to movies from the 90s to movies from 2010, like, there is de- – like, there are a lot There's more a movies now. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's true. And I think games also. There are more violent games now than there were, and I think some people – like, some people really like that God of War. Um, but I don't feel like it's the same way when it's coming from a game because there is that active player aspect to it. It's probably not the place right now, right? With such a new thing, well, it's not to even, be making the commentary. I don't even. I actually don't think that. I mean, well, to be honest, like games have been around for almost thirty years now. Like at some point, they should be able to start commenting on themselves. Movies certainly started commenting on themselves well before thirty years after they've been around. But true, uh, it's less that and more just they don't really have the. There's not the mechanism, but even if they are, it needs to. It just it needs to be handled better. Like there are like. Bioshock is a great example. Bioshock commented on gaming in a very interesting way. And mm-hmm. I think that is the thing that most people have taken away from that game. And I think that's what they were going for with... Uh, You're talking Super- about the would you kindly. Would you kindly. And the, and the idea that basically a player is essentially a f- creature forced to through this path and has no control over what he's actually doing. Which I think is what Superhot was kind of going for. But they handled it really poorly. Well, I, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about that. Because that whole thing kind of, instead of making the commentary about that, the way Super Hot kind of just like put everything on you. Right. They put it on Andrew Ryan and the developers. And, and, and yeah, and that, but that was the thing that they right. were saying was that we're making you do everything that you're seeking. Right. Exactly. And that was a much more honest perspective exactly. of the situation. I mean, yes, exactly. And and I think you could do it with Superhot. I think the problem with Superhot is they tried to make it do the stupid, this is reality. Like, if they if they had made it more abstract, if they hadn't tried to tell you me I was actually a murderer for doing this, I think it could have worked. I think there are ways you could have written that game to make it work. The way it came out does not work. And, I, you know, for me, like, that, that, that is one of the ones that really actually, I walked away from that game angry. Like, actually angry. Mm-hmm. Just like... Like, and not disgusted, like, not angry at myself, not disgusted with myself, but just sort of just like, oh, you guys missed it completely. You do not understand what you're talking about. And it just drove me nuts. All right. 
Well, I think that's a good place to end. I guess that probably is actually a pretty good place to end. I will end with one more. Mm-hmm. Minecraft. Minecraft. Minecraft feels totally wrong. And why do you think that? Because everything in the world is square. Everything in the world is square. If you have any questions, thoughts, or pitch ideas, please send them to us at spitball.sessions at gmail.com. You can also check out our writing and other articles at <coughs> spish, uh, spishball, spitballsessions.com. Correct. Um, you can uh, find me uh, there or at the drill on YouTube. You can find my f- uh, find Josh here at twitch.tv slash Koholos or at Koholos on YouTube. Um, I also like to uh, do other stuff. I guess I'd like to thank Josh for joining me for this. Sure. Oh, and I will also say, if you would like to join us on Discord, we have put a um, Discord link on the website. So if you'd like to come join us, uh, and I will also read it here, it is discord.gg forward slash U capital R D capital P W D A. Yes. Okay. I'd like to thank all of you at home for listening to another exciting episode of Spitball Sessions. Tune in next time. Till then, keep your feet in the batter's box and your eye on the ball, because we'll have another hot pitch coming your way. Thank you for joining us for yet another fun episode of Spitball Sessions. We hope you had a good time. Please pay attention as you exit the stadium to make sure that you're not run over by any cars, trucks, or other moving objects. If you'd like to contact us, you can drop us a line at spitball.sessions at gmail.com or on Twitter at spitballsession. Please leave us reviews on your podcasting platform of choice so that other people can help find the show. Remember, we can't do this without you. And come back in two weeks for the next exciting installment of the Spitball Session. Remember, only you can prevent bad games.